when you read stories from around the world, you're reminded why God is so angry. Matt and Ashley Klockengay, they, they're our mission partners. They serve in the northwest region of Ontario, Canada. And they've come and visited our church a few times, and we've had lunches with them and heard their reports. And maybe you remember some of the many injustices they've accounted for among the people they, they live among. <clears throat> for example, uh, there was many treaties made with their region. And people would come, they'd speak in their language, they would orally make these treaties. But then when they wrote them down in French or other languages, they would make it sound different than it was meant to be. So in writing and in law, it didn't reflect what they said or to parents living in remote villages among the First Nations people, they were forced to send their kids to boarding schools. I mean, imagine sending a five-year-old to boarding school for nine months. If they were sick or passed away during that time, sometimes the families weren't even informed. Some of these families never even saw their kids again. Um, injustices that just were mounting as they were there and Stories like this were unfolding before them. But not only from government level, but also they heard stories at a religious abuse as well. She, um, wolves in sheep's clothing. There's a church building in their village. It was built decades earlier. And the Kakige said, this building haunts the village because of who founded it and what he did to their village and abused and lied and various deceptive things. So imagine the clock and gaze and their teammates, right? God has called you to minister the gospel among people. Both on so many levels, there's distrust. One, you're, you're foreigners and all their dealings with foreigners have just been full of distrust and lies, deception. But then even religiously, it's been twisted in their minds. There's been a character. There's been a counterfeit gospel. There's been a false witness. There's been a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they're turned off to Christianity. As we learned last week in our sermon from chapter 13 and 14, evil dresses itself up as good. The worst looks the best. Therefore, the destruction of this dragon and the two beasts, this unholy trinity, the destruction that they're going to make is going to leave the world. There's going to be some injustices that still cry out. There's going to be some evil that is still felt. There's going to be some damage already done in the lives of people that need healing from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're waiting for God to judge and bring a final judgment. And the clock and gaze are seeing a little window break. They're seeing some healing. They're seeing some progress of the gospel. And we thank God for that. But there's still much more unanswered. Because sin and this unholy trinity that we learned about, much evil will remain unanswered until the very end. And that's why we have... Revelation 15 and 16, it especially speaks a word of hope 
to us. It speaks a word. God's wrath offers hope to all of us longing for justice in an unjust world. So stay alert and wait for Jesus Christ. God's wrath offers hope for those longing for justice in an unjust world. Therefore, be alert and wait for Jesus Christ. As we've been learning, uh, the book of Revelation, it's a prophetic vision from Jesus given to John, one of his disciples. In chapter 1, you remember John was on the island of Patmos, and it was on the Lord's Day, and in the Spirit, he saw a vision, and Jesus gave him these seven messages to the churches that he wrote down. And then in chapter 4, it says heaven was opened, and John was invited to come see the world from heaven's perspective. So he was in the Spirit, and the first thing he sees is he beholds a throne room, and God is seated on his throne, and the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne, and the Spirit is just shining the light, just the glory of this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is sovereign over the nations. And the throne, the throne of God is a, the most central symbol in the book of Revelation. It's repeated frequently and used strategically throughout the book. It's a great word study if you'd like to study that through Revelation. Just the throne, the throne of God. Because central in Revelation is that God is sovereign. God's in control of the world. And so from Revelation 4, we've been seeing a vision unfolding of God, what God's going to do in the world, his judgment. And it's come in a series of seven, very memorable, a series of seven. Chapter 6, John sees a scroll with seven seals that are opened by the Lamb of God. In chapter 8, there are um, seven trumpeteers warning the world. And then in chapter 10, there were seven thunders. But he was told, don't write those down. And then in chapter 16, we see another, the seven bulls of God's wrath. Another series of seven. And this is a great and marvelous sign, he says. Another one has come to him. In, in chapter 15, verse 5, we read that out of this heavenly temple, so out of the throne, seven angels come. They're clothed in pure bright linen with a golden sash across their chest. And one of the four living creatures that we learned about from chapter 4, he hands them these seven angels, seven bowls of God's wrath. And then in chapter 16, it's God judging the world and the devil in Christ. God's coming to put an end to the devil's unholy trinity and deception. And one of the noticeable differences when you look at the series of seven is the intensity. The seven seals, a quarter of the earth is harmed, and the seven trumpets, a third of the earth is harmed. And the bowls, the dial is dialed all the way up. It's as hot as hell. And the whole bowl is poured out. All the earth is an experience of God's wrath. All the earth. It's not no longer percent. It's all poured out. The increase has come to a final judgment. <clears throat> Look at uh, 15, chapter 1. 
just to see the finality of this. The wrath of God is finished or completed. It's, it's reached its final climax. In 15.8, God says from the temple, no one can enter the temple until the plague is finished. And then the seventh bowl in verse Chapter 16, verse 15, a loud voice declared from the temple, it is done. God's final justice for the world. In the midst of this cataclysmic judgment, notice there's a, a brief, really short interjection, a word of hope. Um, Christians are watching this unfold before their very eyes. And someone speaks in verse 15. If you, if you have one of those uh, red letter Bibles, you know, where they highlight the words of Christ in red letters. If you have one of those, you'll notice in chapter 16, one verse will stand out in verse 15. Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks in verse 15. He says this, look. He, he's interrupting the vision. Look, I, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains close so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. This, uh, this metaphor of thief, you know, you see it in the Gospels as well. I mean, Jesus is the owner of everything. I mean, if anyone's a thief, I am, not Jesus. This is, I live on private land. I mean, God created this earth. But he uses a metaphor, attention, to get our attention, to make a really, a, a really clear point. Thieves don't work with your schedule. Um, you know, if they're going to rob your house, they don't text you first. Say, hey, I'm about to head over there and ransack your place. The point is, Jesus is saying, I'm coming when you least expect it. This is one thing, as we study Revelation, this is one thing you don't want to miss. Jesus is coming back at a time you don't know about. But it's serious that he is coming. This is what we're emphasizing here. Jesus is coming. He's going to end history. The king of kings is going to show up. Very strong statement. To execute righteousness, righteous judgment, and divine wrath on the forces of evil. But for the faithful who listen, who have ears to hear, he says, behold, look, I, I come. And then he adds this uh, blessing. Blessed, he says. So there are seven beatitudes, seven blessings in the book of Revelation. This is the third one. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed. Blessed is this one. God's wrath offers hope for those longing for justice and unjust world. Therefore, be alert. Be ready. Christ is coming back. I've outlined the sermon around two main questions. One, how should we respond to judgment? And then two, what is the purpose of judgment? How do we respond and what is the purpose? So first, a response. How should we respond to judgment? There are two polar opposite responses to judgment in these two chapters. As you heard it read, did you notice there's no neutrally religious person who's just like watching this unfold, like, what are you people doing? No, there, there's not a neutral person in this section. 
you are either responding to, worship, to judgment out of worship or you're responding to judgment out of cursing God and blaspheming God. Everyone either worships God or worships the beast. So for the person who thinks, hey, I may not worship God, but I definitely know I'm not worshiping a false, horrific beast, you must realize that idolatry is not just the visible worship of a false god. Idolatry is not worshiping God, not worshiping the true God. That's idolatry. That means you are worshiping someone else, even if you don't visibly realize it or even in your heart would say it. But if you're not worshiping God in Christ, you are worshiping something. And that's what is shocking for us to see. There's, there's two ways to live in these chapters. First, out of the mouth of the redeemed and the angels are words of celebration. They give glory to God. And then second, out of the mouth of hard-hearted unbelievers, they, they nod their tongues. They blaspheming God. That, that's what their mouth is used for. One, their mouths are used to praise God, and the others, their mouths are used to curse God. And all they can do is, is blaspheme in his name. And it's a reminder to blaspheming God can include just saying things that are not, are not true about God. doesn't mean it's not being nice or not. It may not sound like that, but in fact it is. It is. Remember Satan in the Garden of Eden? He used, he used uh, pretty subtle phrases like, God won't, God won't judge you. God's not in control. God's, God, he's not good. That's blasphemy. That is distracting people from the truth of who God is. That's what they were doing. And that's what Satan has continued to do. So let's, let's look at the first response, this response of celebration uh, that we see in these verses, the first part of 15. Again, John is just seeing another great and marvelous sign from heaven. Heaven's being opened. And he sees something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And look who's standing there. A great company of those who were victorious over the beast. These are the redeemed people of God. Those who have who had, had conquered by the blood of the Lamb, they were standing there with harps from God, just like in the Psalms. Now, keep in mind this context. They are singing to God because of his wrath. They're, they're, they're rejoicing that God is angry. They, they're not embarrassed that God's angry. They're not shy at all that God's wrath is being poured out because God's anger is his holy response to sin and evil in opposition to him. It makes perfect sense that God would be angry because his, his love is holy. It's not a sentimental love, not a teddy bear kind of thing. This is a holy love that gets angry when it's, when his very own people are being hurt. They're celebrating God's victory over evil. They rejoice in all the injustices in the world, and they, they're celebrating. 
Um, isn't it, don't you think it's deeply satisfying when justice is done in the world? Uh, I have to admit, one of my favorite TV shows to watch are like detective shows. Um, and I don't know why Britain has like a zillion of them. It's like, they're, that's their genre. And they only have so many people on that island. I don't know how many people are going to get killed. There's no, no one left. <laughs> and that, that wasn't original to me. But um, <laughs> I just love that joke. But I love those TV shows because at the end of the episode, the murderer is found. You know, the, the criminal is caught. Justice is done. They, they, they figured out the plot. It's so satisfying. Those shows wouldn't work if everyone ended with getting the wrong person, um, <clears throat> getting the wrong person uh, caught. But in the real world, it isn't a detective TV show. Injustices go unsolved. Evil seems to triumph. Lies about God seem to capture the hearts and imaginations of the very ones you love, we take it personal. Yet Christians know God's wrath offers hope for those longing for justice in an unjust world, and we rejoice in this. We rejoice in this. We can celebrate God's wrath as his right response to evil because he loves his people. God loves the world he, he's created. He's angry at anything that would destroy it. God loves his people, and he's angry at anyone who would lead them astray. God is going to fulfill his work in his timing. So a proper response to judgment is to worship God. It's to delight him, it's to celebrate. Uh, they sing a song in verse three to four, and it has two titles to this song. It's a song of Moses, and it's a song of the Lamb. Another, you know, reference to the Old Testament, Moses uh, the one who led the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. It's his song, and it's a song of the Lamb. And we're meant to see the comparison of the book of Exodus. We're, we're meant to oh, realize that's happening here. Remember in the Old Testament, Moses was leading the people out of slavery. And by the time you get to Exodus chapter 15 in the story, they walk through the Red Sea, and... Like glass, the water was, was driven up. They walked on dry land to the other side, and their enemies pursued them right on their heels, and the water came crashing down on all their enemies, and they stood on the sea as flat as can be, and they sang a song. They worshiped. Exodus 15, you can read this song that was sung. They brought out the tambourines and the harps and whatever the musical instruments they had, and they rejoiced in God's victory over them. And now we see a much greater victory in God's holy servant, Jesus, the greater exodus from sin and the devil, a greater servant, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, has defeated our enemies, and we sing. We sing to Jesus, song of the Lamb. And there's two refrains in the song the main ones, one, they celebrate what God has done in his marvelous acts, his marvelous deeds, his works of salvation to overthrow their enemies. He overthrew them. 
Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slaughtered. You were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And all these nations are singing to Jesus for their salvation. <clears throat> the redemptive story of God and his mighty works, that's what we're singing about. Think about it. It's been revealed for us to rejoice in in the Bible story. A second theme running through the song is they celebrate, we celebrate God. We rejoice in who God is, not only what he does, but who he is. He's the Lord God Almighty, the King of the nations. He's holy. He's the sovereign over the cosmos. He's eternal. And because God is holy and sovereign, all his judgments are just and true. Just and true. These are two repeated words, quite a bit in our passage. Do you see that in 15.3? Just and true are your ways. And then in 16.4, the angel declared, you are just. And then in 16.7, the altar, the saints there cried out, true and just are your judgments. Yeah, why, why those two words about, God, about God's judgment? Why, why just and true? First, just. God's judgments are just. This indicates that this is not a demonstration of raw power. I mean, he's, he's not just flying off the handle. God's top is not just blowing off and he's, he, I'm done, he's exploding. This is, this is a controlled, a settled anger of his right response, a just response to what's wrong. This, you can't compare this with human anger. This is a moral expression of his perfect, just, holy character. Uh, a loving father's response to evil hurting his family. And of course, this evil existed in us. In us, his very own people that he came for, the ones he came to save, his just wrath was first dealt with on the cross in Jesus Christ, a propitiation, a substitute for our sinners. That's why it's a song of the lamb, because he's rescued us from the what we deserve, from the just judgment we deserve. And now, just as if I had never sinned, I mean Christ. And just as if I was always obeyed, his justice has been counted to me. We are counted righteous in Christ. What a gospel story of Jesus. And those who reject the divine provision of the gospel in Jesus will experience what they deserve. They will get their justice as well. <clears throat> And that's why they're, they chew their tongues. So much pain, the experience of it, they're going to be just the beginnings of paying their own just punishment. Second is true. So just and true. Just and true are your ways. True seems to indicate, indicate the punishment fits the crime. Uh, as you heard the judgments of the seven bulls, one thread you notice was the retributive justice. In 16.6, you know, they, they shed blood in the prophets, and then their waters turned to blood. They have to drink blood. Uh, in 16.19, Babylon the Great, what we learned about in chapter 14, he was giving his cup of sexual immorality, forcing the nations to drink it, and now Babylon the Great 
They're going to be forced to drink the cup of God's fierce wrath. Bottom line is, you will only get what you deserve. He will be true to his character. God will be true to his nature. In Jesus Christ is your hope. God will be true to that. You cannot lose your salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, God will be true to only give you what you deserve, what is rightly coming to you in our rebellion. And worship is as we wait for this time to come. Worship, think about how worship songs for Christians are, they're the dress rehearsal before the real play begins. And if you're not in the cast, you, you're invited to join. He, he's gifted every person in his with a part in the play. We have an unfolding part and we can practice. We can be part of the rehearsal by singing to God and rejoicing. He wrote the script. He has a part for each one of us and is great and marvelous. And he's directing it all. And we're rehearsing in it. <clears throat> I've noticed in our house during those stressful weeks when burdens that are just too great, Alicia will turn on her Spotify account and lately she's been typing in Rich Mullins. So we've been going back to this era and it does the soul good to worship God in times when we're still waiting for his justice. We're still waiting for God. We're gonna worship God. We're gonna turn to God. We're gonna celebrate God and it gives us hope in Jesus Christ. So our, our first point was the response, the response to judgment. And the second point is the purpose of judgment. Judgment is settling things right. It's a job of ordering society, crushing oppressors, restoring creation to what it was meant to be. One of the hints of the purpose of judgment in these chapters, like I've been saying, is the allusions to the plagues and judgment in the book of Exodus. Like the nation of Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the lamb and sang the song in God's victory over their enemies. Revelation, the people of God will sing the song of the Lamb and God's victory over the kingdom of darkness. And the purpose of judgment then is salvation. It's a loving act. Brett Davis put it like this, for God to save the world, he must judge the world. For God to save the world, he must judge the world. It's salvation through judgment, all the earth, all the cosmos. And so you'll either be judged in Christ or you'll experience the judgment without Christ as you're covering. And this is the hope that we have. <clears throat> we see this pattern in the book of Exodus of these, the bulls. This is something to think about. In Exodus chapter two, the Israelites groan because of their slavery. They, their cry for help ascended to God as prayers. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw the Israelites, and God knew what to do. That's why he raised up Moses. Book of Revelation also records this. In Revelation 5a, we read, angels held golden bowls full of incense. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Their prayers ascended to God's throne room. In chapter 6, we learned what they cried out. How long before you 
will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. We hear prayers in the Bible, like forgiveness, and how long? Forgiveness prayers. We hear those prayers. Remember this one from the cross of Christ. Father, uh, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Like when Stephen was being martyred, forgive them, God. They don't know what they're doing. But then there's also prayers in the Bible of how long, O Lord, before you make all things right. Both prayers, biblical prayers, both are Christian prayers. But one day, the prayers of forgiveness will not be heeded anymore. It's only going to be a prayer of judgment. How long, O Lord, until... And that's what we're reading about. Uh, No one's crying out in chapter 16, forgive me. No one's crying out anymore. Forgive me, Lord. Out of the temple where God dwells come seven golden bulls, not full of incense this time, but full of God's wrath. As angels preceded the temple, it was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power. And he said, do not enter it again until it is completed. On earth, we know in the meantime, God's called us to works of justice. He was showing you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on now. And that's what the clock and gaze are praying. That's what other works of uh, ministry are praying. We want to see some advances of God's kingdom now. We want to see some injustices solved now. And that's healthy and that's right. But we also know they won't all be solved. We also will wait when God will do it finally here. And you know, one of the names of the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation is seven spirits. And it's emphasizing his perfect vision, perfect sight to see everything on the earth. He's emphasizing it because this judgment will not miss anyone. This judgment will not miss any injustice. This judgment will not miss a single thing that's out of whack from what God has required of us. And he's going to hold us accountable to this. And we can confidently say this because look at how everyone responded in chapter 16. 16.9, they blaspheming God. They, they didn't repent and give glory to God with the judgments. 16.11, same thing. They blasphemed the God of heaven. They did not repent. In verse 14, those remaining outside of Christ, they gathered together to fight Christ, fight against God. And then this last announcement, their response, the very last verse that we read, their response to the severe judgment, to their dying breath, they blaspheming God. No one repents. The whole chapter, no one repents. Again, Je- Jesus interjects hope for us to stay alert. I'm coming soon. Hold on to Jesus because God is patient. That's why he's waiting. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this motivates our our zeal to share our faith, to because of this judgment that's come, this is one of the implications of this for us as Christians, is to remind us this will come, but in the meantime, we're going to share our faith. We want to invite people to follow Christ. But when this happens... Everyone who was going to believe has believed. This is the final judgment. All who are left on the earth will never bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
they're all going to suffer this. Never to repent. Judgment has come. And we just see it with the bulls. It's judgment on the earth. Unrepent people. Judgment in the kingdom of darkness, this fifth bull. The sixth bull just created this great battle that Christ came and met. And the seventh bull, this cataclysmic judgment where the bull was poured in the air. Remember Ephesians 2.2? The prince, like Satan is called, the prince of the power of the air. He is dealt with final blow, flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, severe earthquake, no earthquake like it before. So tremendous was it. I'm just going to look at one bull. It's the sixth one. I just want to point out, I want, I want us to see this. The sixth bull with this great battle of Christ, I want you to see deception from the unholy trinity continues right up to the very end. They don't pause to take a break in spewing out evil. Figur- figuratively in these uh, frogs, from the dragon, the beast, the two beasts, frogs came out of their mouth. And you might remember, it's kind of reminds you of the book of Exodus again, the Exodus story. Remember, frogs was one of the two plagues that the Egyptian magicians could mimic, could counterfeit, could produce. So just like they're doing signs and wonders here, they're going to keep this up to the very end. A counterfeit mission just trying to deceive the nations, calling them together. And the, the reason that it's coming out of their mouth, just reminded that it's words of deception. This is the work of spiritual warfare. It's works to deceive you. It's works to distract you. It's works to cause you to be complacent. It's work, words that would distract us away from the gospel and this sure judgment to come. That's going to be kept up to the very end. But Christ is going to come and meet them. And remember what comes out of the mouth of Christ. He saw this revelation in chapter 1 about the, the Son of Man will come out of his mouth a sharp, two-edged sword. He's going to speak a word. It is done. And this will vanquish all evil for all time. Christ will win through the word. His very word. He's going to speak the word, and that'll deal with all the evil in the world. And it'll happen at Armageddon. Armageddon. Um, <clears throat> not sure if that burst your bubble, if you were hoping for like tanks and nuclear weapons and this great evil nation against this great, you know, uh, perfect nation, and they're going to fight it out. Armageddon. It's kind of been a politicians and, and generals, they, they use the word Armageddon quite a bit for various uh, near misses, right? Because <clears throat> they've kind of treated it as like, a, like an idea uh, that points forward of some great war. But what, we're, what we don't want to miss is the symbolic nature of the word Armageddon. Armageddon is a, there's kind of two words happening in the word Armageddon. There's both the, a city, Megiddo, that was in ancient Israel, but then also the word mountain. Maybe Mount Zion. There's some kind of meeting happening here. It's really a symbolic metaphor of Jesus Christ meeting his enemies and defeating them with the word of God. It is done. After the judgment at Mount Doom, this is from the Lord of the Rings. 
uh, Samwise Gamgee, you know, that lovely, just naive, young, wonderful hobbit. He was at this moment of utter sadness. He, he wakes up from sleep after the ring was thrown in Mount Doom. He, he really is unclear. Did we do the mission? Did it work out? I feel like it went wrong in every which way. And, they, and he thought he lost his grandfatherly figure, you know, in Gandalf. And then he wakes up and he sees Gandalf. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead too. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then Gandalf laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. And as Sam listened, to the laugh, he thought to himself, I've not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? This is what Christ is bringing, a final consummation when those injustices will be made right. He's going to turn everything right. The curse will be rolled back. The world will be changed. He's going to bring about a complete salvation of his people. And the hope we have in Revelation 21, verse 5, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Amen. Let's pray.